So, Berto, people have been sending in their short little questions, and I thought we would answer them. What do you say? Let's do it. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. Who are you, Umberto? My name is Umberto Castaneda, and I bake delicious treats. So, these are questions from patrons, and you patrons out there, if you have any questions, email me, but particularly if you have like little short ones, because we... We have a, a long backlog of big questions yet to answer because it takes me a long time to do that. Uh, but little questions we could do. This first question is from patron, famous patron Lyndon. What are you and Umberto's guiltiest pleasure when it comes to movies, like a movie that you cannot defend on any level whatsoever? <laughs> Berto, uh, let's, go, let's go tit for tat. Give me one. <laughs> All right. So uh, I don't know if I rank these, but... The Saw series. The entire Saw series is okay. one of them. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. Like, it's hard to defend those. Yeah, right? I, I can never say, oh, you've never seen Saw? Oh, you have to watch Saw. But it's one of my guilty pleasures. I've seen the entire series all the way through many times, including the latest one, Jigsaw, that came out in the fall. Well, I have only seen that one once, but still. I would say my number one is Multiplicity from 1996. It's directed by Harold Ramis has Michael Keaton and Andy, Andy uh, McDowell. Basically, Michael Keaton goes to the service and gets himself cloned. Uh-huh. And because he's he's running out of time. Michael, oh, Ke- Michael Keaton is I this, saw that. He's like a husband and a father, and his wife is always yelling at him about like, yes. you never are home, or you never take me out, and you're never with the kids. And so <laughs> he ends up cloning himself uh-huh. like a few times. One person who goes to work, right. one person who spends time with the wife, one person who spends time with the kids, another person who, you know. Did they explain the brain thing in that one or nothing? Uh, what do you mean, how to clone a brain? Like, did they cause just use DNA or did they actually train the clone somehow? Or? I can't remember. Okay. But one thing they did say was there's slight variations in each, in each <laughs> copy and e- with each copy they get worse. Oh, I see. Maybe because it, it was a full adult, right? Yeah. So maybe it was more of a like the fly kind of cloning, like they digitally. Maybe I don't know. Okay. Nineteen ninety six. But I this movie is just a throwaway, almost <laughs> kind of a weird romantic comedy uh-huh. sort of movie from the mid nineties during a time when there weren't a lot of really great <laughs> movies, you know, and I about have wa- Waterworld. What did, you're forgetting about Waterworld? I've watched Multiplicity multiple times like i've i've probably seen it especially in the 90s i think i had a copy of it i probably watched it i don't know like a hundred times you know what i mean so <laughs> so that's my i can't defend it. it i i think it's an okay movie but not nearly uh doesn't deserve me having watched it you know dozens of times <laughs> what's your number two bro the internship oh my god that's a terrible movie. vince vaughn and- oh i thought i thought it was a different movie uh the internship yeah, that, I don't know if that's a that's, guilty that's pleasure. That's where they get jo- a job at Google as interns. Yeah, that's a good movie. No, it's not a good movie. It's I mean, okay. It's, I've seen it so many times. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, really? It's, it, the, it's a guilty pleasure because I hate to admit it, but I've seen it at least five times. Wow. Yeah, that's that's surprising. Yeah. I mean, once is like enough. Yeah. I, I'd right. probably give it a five out of ten. Right. Okay, my number, my number two is Napoleon Dynamite. What? Well, okay. So, I... Uh, well, what I just don't understand how I like this movie and why anyone else would like it. It's I see. it's beloved, believe yeah. me. But there are plenty of people who you hate don't have it. to be guilty about liking. Well, 
I kind of consider it in that category. Like, I see. I, like, plenty of people like Saw, right? Yeah. Oh, that's true. But I can't defend Napoleon Dynamite. You know what I mean? I can't be like, dude, it's a it's a fantastic film. Like, I, I can't really defend it. It doesn't make it. any sense as to why it's so good. Yeah. What's your number three, Berto? Hackers. Oh, God. Oh, my God. You were picking I some... I love Hackers. Yeah, you've talked about that movie for a long... That is a <laughs> shitty movie. It is terrible. I think I told... Did that come out, like, late 90s? Yeah. I think I told you I fell asleep in that. Does that have Jean-Luc Picard in it? Is that Pat Patrick Stewart? No. Okay. But it has that... Uh, the soundtrack is Underworld. Yeah. And it's got Angelina Jolie. Yeah. I think I fell asleep in that movie. Uh, and I've only fallen asleep. You fall asleep in movie theaters all the time. I, I think I've only fallen asleep in like two movies. My number three is The Man with Two Brains. Oh, Na- yeah. 1983. Steve Martin? Steve Martin. Kathleen yeah. Turner. Carl Reiner directed it. This movie is ridiculous, but <laughs> I've watched this movie in the 80s hundreds of times. Oh What's your number four, Berto? Showgirls. Oh man, you you were picking. Some, well, the one I guess the thing is for me is I don't like a lot of shitty movies. You, apparently, you like a lot of no, shitty movies, but not a lot. I mean, I can count them in two hands. Yeah, I mean, I guess Showgirls is one of those guilty pleasures for a lot of people. I mean, I have an honorable mention in here that was closely related to Hackers, which was Sandra Bullock in The Net. Oh, <laughs> that one's also terrible. Um, my number four is The Aristocrats. Uh, with uh, George Carlin, Don Rickles, Chris Rock, you know. The joke. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that, that is that a guilty pleasure? Well, I can't defend that movie. Okay. I mean, yeah, it's, it's hard to recommend that to someone. It is, it is like, I don't know, 20 to 30 comics. <laughs> saying the same joke. Saying the same joke. And, and I, none of them even coming close to that dude in Vegas that did it so well one time. You? <laughs> I thought this movie was just so funny. I, I was rolling. And I, I, it, it's terrible. It's a terrible, well, terribly <laughs> offensive, awful. It is horrible. Yeah. What's I don't even know if they could make that movie nowadays. Eh, what's okay. your number five? No retreat, no surrender. I don't even know. Late that. 80s oh, no. karate movie. Uh, the kid moves into the new neighborhood uh, and he's a badass karate guy. And I, he's got his token black guy friend who's got the jive and could do the break dancing and everything. I guess I don't like a lot of super shitty movies, but because uh, I don't really have I don't really have a movie like that I mean I've but, enjoyed kind of but I wouldn't watch it a but this times. was Jean-Claude Van Damme's first appearance yeah. and he was a bad guy uh, my number five is Borat which is similar to Napoleon Dynamite no, see, you I know pick- I know oh, my God. But that's the thing I couldn't okay well let me give you my honorable men- <laughs> let me give you my honorable mentions Hot Rod yes okay there we go okay so that's a movie that's, that's like that's a guilty that's I a ridiculous that. yeah. movie Andy Samberg yes. Isla Fisher um, it, it, it's a ridiculous movie. I love, there's a scene where he, there's a whole sequence where he, cool beans, cool beans, cool beans. <laughs> anyway, you just have to watch it. Uh, another Romeo and Juliet. Oh no. Baz Luhrmann. A lot of what? people, a lot of people hate this. I love Romeo and Juliet. I know, but like true Shakespeare people look at this with oh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Claire Danes. They're just I love like, that just, movie. And it has Radiohead. Yeah. I, well, the soundtrack I listened to a billion times. Actually, listened to it recently. That's not a guilty. Uh, another honorable mention: Grandma's Boy. Okay, again. Okay, I see what you mean. It's hard to. You can't just recommend that to any person. But, but I love it. But I've I've seen Grandma's Boy. I don't know, handful of times. And why? Do you know what I mean? It's like it's. But a, that one's legitimately funny, though. Okay. 
another one here is is actually masterminds. Maybe that's probably the best guilty pleasure. Masterminds. It, it's made by it was Zach Galifianakis, Kristen Wiig, Owen okay. Wilson. It came out last year. Okay, and it was about a real story about a real heist. Oh, and, I, I saw the previews and never watched it. And like everyone hated it. It's by the same guy who made Napoleon Dynamite. I love Masterminds. That's, I, I I've watched that <laughs> a number of times. Another guilty pleasure, Ace Ventura. Again. A lot of people love that movie. Yeah, see, you, but I, but I, but I watched Ace Ventura several times, and and it's hard to. Uh, okay, okay, no, here's here's a good one. Here's a good okay. one. Legend of the Guardians: The Owls of Gahul. Okay, I haven't seen it, but I believe you. <laughs> Zack Snyder actually directed it. Did he? But but I actually have seen that movie a number of times, and it's it's one of the movies that people like to make fun of. I guess for me, a guilty pleasure is something where you're at the dinner. At, with the people, and they say, "Oh, what movie were you watching last night?" And you're embarrassed to right. admit what it. Well, was. I just don't have a lot of. I don't. You know, I feel like you have a lot more movies like that. You yeah, know what I mean, this is fair. Uh, and then the last one is Sausage Party. Oh yeah, I know. I love that mean. movie. Um, so, do you have any honorable mentions? So I mentioned the net honorable mention. I will say. Waterworld with the right amount okay. of in, in, inebriation is hilarious. No, I actually I, I I like that move. If you take it for what it is, which is like a campy, you know, action movie. Right. I think it's fine. It's a fine comedy. It's yeah. one of the fa- funniest comedies. Yeah. Um, I just want to talk about some other movies I've seen lately. Maybe you can chime in here too, Berto. Uh, I saw Trumbo recently. Uh, Trumbo. Trumbo. It's about. Uh, Donald Dal- Dalton Trumbo, played by Brian Cranston. Oh, I know what you're talking about. He's a blacklisted, yes, communist uh, writer in Hollywood yeah. in the 40s. Uh, Brian's Song, which is 1971. Uh, by the way, I gave Trumbo a seven. I gave Brian's Song a seven, which is pretty good for an older movie. It's mm-hmm. hard to, you know, it's about it's a real story about Gail Sayers and Brian Piccolo. It's football. These okay. two, a black and white football player. Okay. In the late '60s, are sort of forced to hang out together, and oh. and one of them dies, and it's this, and it's a real story, and there's tears, okay. and uh, it's kind of an interesting look into uh, gender politics at the time. Um, finally, watch Incent in in Incendies Incendies, which is Denny Villeneuve's first one of his first movies. Okay, it, it you know the guy who made yeah, Blade Arrival. Runner and Sicario and Enemy and Arrival, right? Prisoners and Arrival. Yeah, I think he made Prisoners, right? Yeah. Um, this is I think maybe his first uh, movie or okay. one of his first, and I was like, well, if I love all of his other movies, man, I'm, I got to see this guy, you know, in in this movie. I was bored. Really? I gave it five out of ten. Maybe I, I gave it five out of ten because I feel bad giving it lower okay. pretty much. But it's about these it's it's about these twins who their mother dies right at the beginning of the movie and then they go on this journey to try to discover their mother's story and she's from oh. the Middle East and and they discover, you know, slowly the family history and I see. And it's you know it's interesting because it's it's an interesting look yeah yeah it's an interesting look into what it might look like to live out there I with see. political strife but it but it was like I don't know just kind of lacked did, did he direct this new Sicario two movie There's a Sicario two yeah What are you talking about There's a Sicario two with Benicio del Toro Oh yeah uh, I don't know who's directing that Oh okay uh, Snowden with um, 
Joseph Gordon-Levitt, directed by Oliver Stone. Is that good? Yeah, I gave it a 7 out of 10. I thought that, from what I understand about the Snowden story, they recreated it. It was interesting. You should see it, actually, because that's an interesting history moment, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, Two of Us, which I told you about. It's about John Lennon, Paul McCartney. They get together in New York in 1976. It's like a fictionalized moment. I I think it's great. I think you should definitely watch it. I gave it 7 out of 10. By the way, Oliver Stone really took a left turn for me this last year. Yeah. Did, did you know all the stuff where he interviewed Putin and all these things? Oh, no. So he, he went over there and he interviewed Putin and he's got this documentary about it. And what I can't figure out is, I mean, so he's there and Putin says all these nice sounding things. And and I'm like, well, of course. Of course he did. And of course it's going to sound great. Yeah. But you, you don't see through it at all? Like... You don't, and of course you can't push on it because he, he's not going to lose his axis and he's got to be careful what he says, but it's the weirdest thing. And so he's like, yeah, he was like literally defending Putin last year. Wow. Not, not even about the Trump stuff, although he did. He said, yeah, I, I think that that's all baseless and stuff. I'm talking about like Putin and the Ukraine and all these other things. And I'm like, what? Interesting. Sounds like motivated reason. Um, I also saw Old Boy. I think I, did I tell you about Yeah, this? you told me about that. Yeah, I gave it a one. It's terrible. <laughs> Um, People love that movie. I know, but I don't understand. (laughs) And I've said this before. As an Asian person, I feel like I can kind of say this. There are some Asian genre movies that the critics, for you know, they like because it's from Asia or something. So (laughs) different. And and I'm just like, like there was a movie. There's been a there's been a few 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 movies that like uh, like the. Snow Train or what? Right, it's not, uh, Piercer, Snow Piercer. Snow Piercer is right. similar. It's from Asia. And it was like, oh my God, this is amazing! It's like an after school bad yeah. like movie. It, the, the, the effects are stupid. The story what about those is, twists? The story is stupid. The, that one Asian guy and girl are stupid. Yeah. It's like, why are you so like. People freaked out about that movie. Yeah. I, it's, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Uh, it was weird because when it when it came out, I hadn't heard any buzz. Oh, actually, it was before it got popular. I went over to my friend Michael's, and he had like a, a, an early copy of it or something, quote unquote. <laughs> and we watched it, and we were we had some beers and stuff, and we watched it. And the whole movie, we were making fun of it. Yeah. And we ended, and we I fell asleep at the end. I was like, yeah. Oh, that was terrible. And and like a month later or something. I hear someone's like, have you seen Snowpiercer? Oh, my God. It's mind-blowing. Yeah, I think it touches on some kind of nerd nerve. Some Like like you and I are nerds, but I think it touches on some – like because I went years ago – I can't remember the movie, but it was another Korean movie, and it was huge. And I remember he was like, oh, we got to go see it, and we went to see it. And I was like, this is, this is childish. Yeah. I remember thinking, like, this is what you watch when you're – Eight and you're like, oh my god! It's right. so... But and the and my friend sitting next to me was flipping out, <laughs> and he was laughing at like the dumb jokes. Right. And I'm just like, uh Well, it's like the scene in Snowpiercer that I think was supposed to be a really traumatic scene where they find out what the food they've been eating is made of. Yeah, and it's it's just bugs. Yeah, and I'm like, well, first of all, they eat bugs all over the world. Yeah. Second, it's clearly post-apocalyptic. Yeah. You need a good source of stuff. And they're bars, process. They're not live. What do you care? Yeah. Like, what's the big deal? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. The whole tone of it, it it was too long. The violence was like, uh, I don't, anyway, 
I saw All the President's Men finally, 1976. Wow, that's a great movie. Yeah, I, I, although You've never seen that. Okay, well, so you might have been. So I've been I've been ranking movies on IMDb IMDb DB ever since the website uh, became <clears throat> public in like uh-huh. the late 90s, and for some reason I had already rated this movie. So, oh. but I'm so old now that I have forgotten seeing it. But anyway, so you might have seen it. Yeah, I gave it an eight. Uh, Carrie finally watched all of. I'd never seen like all, the for, Stephen King, yeah. the Blood, the yeah. I've never seen that. Brian De Palma. Um, I think it's worth it for the cultural reference. Okay. I gave I gave it a six out of ten. There's some pretty janky scenes, but but it's um it's entertaining. Actually, that could be one of them that I did see. Like you're saying, so long ago, because I know the scene where she's like, yeah, isn't she at prom and she yeah pulls and they dump no they dump blood on her yeah. Cow's blood. It's got some interesting writing and some interesting scenes in it. Um, also saw a Serious Man, the Coen Brothers oh. movie. It was one of the lesser known ones. Uh, I gave it a six. Maybe I would even okay. drop it down to a five. The Coen Brothers, uh, when you really look at their full catalog, they have a lot of they have a lot of mid range yes, movies. You know, I feel like when Oh Brother were out there came out, it was like, oh my God, they're so amazing. And Miller's Crossing. And so I, I think we talked about this. Now, I'm not talking about the TV show, but I never and, cared for Fargo. And Fargo, yeah. I love, I still love Fargo. I think it still holds up. I rewatched it recently. But like, when you just look at the full Coen Brother catalog, you know, like Lewin, inside Lewin Davis, I, I'm like, yeah, it's okay. You know, I, I respect the movie for yeah. sure. And I think that. Uh, Oscar Isaac is just amazing. Like, oh my god, he can really play guitar and sing. This is mm-hmm. like incredible. And but like, as as far as like entertainment, now Burn After Reading is one of my favorite movies. I love that movie. Yeah. Uh, Fargo. Anyway, Burn After Reading is really good. But A Serious Man is like huh? uh, Mad Hot Ballroom, two thousand five. This is a documentary about uh, New York City elementary school uh, kids learn. It was a popular. I could rewatch that. Gave a seven out of ten. Z for Zachariah came out twenty fifteen. Interesting movie. Hmm. Uh, it has Chris Pine and uh, uh, Elijah Four. That guy, you know, uh, African. I think he's like from England. She would tell Elijah Four as as I can't pronounce his name. You'd recognize him. Okay. Um, but and Margot Ro- Robbie. Oh, I love her. Yeah. The the th- they're in a poke post-apocalyptic like nuclear war or something and they come upon each other in this small little village and they have to like survive mm-hmm. and it's it's and it's implied like maybe these are the last three people on the planet oh. and you have one woman and two men you know Ooh. and it sort of played out sort of realistically you okay. know it's not sensational i want to watch this i gave it six out of ten it was okay all right let's go on to See y'all, so famous patron Lyndon also asked us, "What are your guilty pleasures when it comes to music? Mm-hmm. So songs or that's right. artists or whatever. What do you think, Berto? Give me one. Hey Mickey, you survive, you survive, you blow my mind. Hey Mickey, wait, do you, hey Mickey, do you actually put that on the Spotify when you're in the car? It's in my '80s playlist. Yeah, but but you do you, you love it though? It's a guilty pleasure. Okay. Yeah. But define that. Like, do you... It's that you, song like, oh, that I can't is, wait to hear it. Or when you hear it, you love it. It's a song that 
it's not a great song. Other than it's, I mean, if you define great songs as being catchy, fine, but it's not a great song. It's got no depth to it whatsoever. Yeah. It sounds shrill. Yeah. The video is shrill. And yet, what about, uh, did, so did you just, hear it. did you just do songs or did, did you do artists at all? Songs. Oh, okay. Cause I did artists. That's okay. okay. Mine will be songs. Uh, so my number one is Rick Astley. Okay, yeah, sure. I can totally get that. Okay. So I like Rick Astley. One of the most made fun of, yes. which, which didn't happen. Rick which Yeah, the Rick Roll thing didn't happen until like 10 years ago. Yeah. Prior to that, he was just, you know, an 80s right. artist. But when we were in high school, a friend of mine got the Rick the big hit Rick Astley cassette. And, you know... We were we would have been seniors, and by then I was super hipster about music. Mm-hmm. Like like if you play me, uh, you know, top forty hits from my junior or senior year in high school, I'll be like, I don't I don't even know those songs. Right. Like Bon Jovi, it, the only reason why I've even heard some Bon Jovi songs all the way through is because I've had to sit through them at karaoke. <laughs> you know, there are some songs where I'm just like. Or Mariah Carey, for example. <laughs> like I can't, I can't tell you a Mariah Carey because you song. didn't listen to radio at that point, right? And when I did, it was very quickly turned off or quickly turned. And but and Rick Astley was a part of that thing. But my friend got a hold of this cassette, and whenever we were in the car, he would <laughs> ironic, he would ironically play it, and then uh, after like listening to it a thousand times. Cause <laughs> Because you know, when you're Honda Civic in 1989, right. you might have five cassettes. Right. He had like a power station, you know, that Duran Duran right. knockoff, and and other kinds. Of, and by the hundredth time you hear something, you kind of start singing along. Dude, and he so, had catchy songs. Yeah. So by the by, pretty quickly, me and my friends loved Rick Astley <laughs> and would listen and sing and 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 it's some you know it's it's I think it's okay so yeah. when I, actually when I hear Rick Astley songs I'm like I'm loving it that's great what about you what's your next one bro tonight tonight by Genesis no oh by by Smashing new Pumpkins? kids on the block oh no this was their Beatles song they had a song that they had obviously helped writing, to, and it sound they made it sound like a Beatles song. Oh my! And God. it starts. Remember all the times where we were through, or something like this, right? And it had the little do 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 do. You know, it had the little horns and everything, and then the chorus. And I guess it's on the same after all. Da 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 da. And then it's called Tonight Tonight. You know, so they go, Tonight, Tonight. And I loved it. I heard it on the radio, late 80s. It comes on. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Oh God. I know, it's embarrassing. Uh, my number two is Hall & Oates. Now, I know you're going to say a lot of people like Hall & Oates. I love it, Hall & Oates. But there's a lot of, but I would say a majority of people outside of our generation Consider Hall and Oates to be a joke. Have Partic- they heard the Hall and Oates songs? Well, I, well I have heard. Pop. I have heard people recently say like they'll just completely hack on. They'll say they'll say yeah, it's like fake soul. It's terrible. It's oh. you know, Man Eater is a terrible song. Um, so anyway, but yeah. and so not only do I just kind of love Hall and Oates, but like I am a super fan. I, I love Hall and Oates. Yeah, I, I have like deep cuts, and I, I am I, right there with you. And my entire family would listen to this to to, to them all the time, so I, they always kind of remind me of 
Right. You know. Yeah. It's funny because I remember I was like ten years old, and you know. And it's a bitch girl, and it's going <laughs> yeah, to. Yeah. And, and my mom was like, my mom was what? like, uh, Kirk, you can't, you can't say that word. And I'm like, what do you mean? And she's like, it's a bad word. And I was like, oh, I, I don't even know. Uh, what's your number three, bro? Dun, 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 dun. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Dun, 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 yeah. da, 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 dun. Yeah. No, his has dun, 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 dun. Like it's, it's a little scoop. Uh, so, no, I'm not doing that. I'm doing dun, 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 so you, da, 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 da. Wait, so you legitimately, you're like, yeah, I'm going to put that song out. You, I mean, in order to be a guilty pleasure, you have to actually listen to I do. So listen, hear me out. The reason this is a guilty pleasure is the time it happened for me, I was in high school on the cross-country team, and there were two guys... Uh, Sean and Leaf, they sat in the back and they had the big boombox. And on the way to all our matches, they would blast Ice, Ice Baby. And they knew the whole song. And after a while, a whole bus knew the whole song. And we would all be singing along. And so that became a thing. <laughs> so my number three is My Sharona by The Knack. So you you know. Of course. That I love The Knack. Yeah. The Knack is one of my favorite bands. That album is so good. Get the Knack, 1979. So that's a song that people make a lot of fun of. You know what I mean? And that song has one of the most epic guitar solos (laughs) and like awesome drum parts and awesome singing. And and just, it's just a great song. The problem is, is that. It's overplayed, yeah. and but if you listen to that whole album, the drumming on that album is amazing. I guess as an honorable mention that I'll just say already is uh, "Love Sick" by Cardigans. Was that "Love Sick" or "Love"? What was that big song? You know, that was on Romeo and Juliet. Like I, I love not only that. That, that song is my least favorite Cardigan song, but I love the Cardigans. Anyway, what's your what's your number four? If you're blue and you don't know where to go to, why don't you oh. go where fashion sits? Oh God, putting on the Ritz. <laughs> the '80s or the old one? No, the one from the '80s. Yeah. The because I remember I had I I had only a few tapes in my house, and they were all tapes are these from all radio '80s songs? songs that you're mentioning? I think these are all like mid eighties, except for my last one. Okay, uh, my number four is actually I think very fitting for a uh, guilty pleasure, and that is Air Supply. <gasps> I love Air Supply. So it that's is, a guilty pleasure. I even for saw sure. them live. I even oh saw them gosh. live. In fact, I was uh, and he when he came into the audience, I have a I have a selfie with me and he? him. You mean she? No. <laughs> <laughs> so for the longest time, till I was a senior in high school. Or junior, I thought it was a female singer with a male backup. Yeah, and when I was I was on this trip to uh, to Mexico on a youth trip, and I remember they were playing Air Supply, and I'm singing, I'm trying to sing along because it's impossible, and and then I'm like, oh, she's got such a beautiful voice, and the adult is like, uh, it's a dude. <laughs> <laughs> What's your number five? Rain Booms versus the Dazzlings. What's that? Of course you don't know it. It is the climax song of My Little Pony Equestria Girls, <laughs> where they are real girls in Equestria, and they have to do a battle. Oh, but this is the second movie. 
the Battle of the Bands. It's called um, Rainbow Rocks is the name of the movie. So all the bronies just had a had a bro gas. <laughs> Dude, it's a great song. Listen, the music in My Little Pony movies is amazing pop. Interesting. It's really great. So my number five is Go West. Uh, Go West. No, it's a band. Dee, 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 dee. Uh, it, like, uh, we close our eyes. We never lose again. Oh, yeah. We'll never mention, never That's called let. Go West. Uh, yeah. And also they did the the king of something. Thing. Anyway, uh, that first tape that they had, or their big tape in the 80s, I still oh, listen to Oh, the king it. of not... The King of Wishful Thinking. Oh, Wishful Thinking, yeah. Yeah. That I was, love that, that song. That was a hit that came out after the I love the that song. But I listened to this Go West cassette, like, I don't know, billions of times in the eighth grade and still love it and cannot defend it at all. Uh, what did I used to think? I used to think, oh, wait, sing the line of uh, The King of Wishful Thinking. Because I'm the King of Wishful Thinking. Yeah. I used to think it was like... Cause I'm the give you wish for baby, or so I'm the gift you wish for baby. That's what I was. I'm the gift you wish for baby. So, uh, so honorable mentions here are uh, Olivia Newton John. <gasps> I loved her. Uh, Xanadu is one of my favorite. See, albums. you have your guilty pleasures are good. Well, I, th- I just think it's because you and me. Because I, honestly, I swear oh. to God, I swear <laughs> to God, if we were in a different crowd, like the podcast listeners, they'd be like, Olivia, New- are you kidding See, me? See, like mine, one of the lines is, so the Rain Booms want to turn this into a battle of the bands? Well, let's battle. Because, you know, there's particularly, I guess, maybe younger people are like, that's joke. That's like terrible old move, old music. And like. We listen to serious music, music like Kendrick Lamar and Kanye and uh-huh. Jay Z. I mean, Jay Z is like twenty years old, but twenty five years old. Yeah. But my point is, it's like uh, I and I've heard people talk about I music see. like that. They'll just or Beastie Boys. They'll be like, right. Beastie Boys is shit. Right. That's, that's not real rap. And I'm like, uh, I like Beastie Boys. Well, and they were real rap. <laughs> uh, Christopher Cross is a is another. Uh, honorable I love mention. Christopher Cross. Uh, Sailing. Yeah. And 38 Special. Uh, uh, so caught up in you, yeah, little girl. Like, I, yeah. what I hear, there's a few 38 Special. S- oh, yeah. I, I always thought, see, I, I had the weirdest interpretation of lyrics in the 80s. So I'm telling you, little girl. What was it? I, I can't remember what I thought on that one, but well, every you, song I had weird. You know, you know Blondie? Call me yeah. on the line. My little brother... Because my sister's name is Colleen. So my little brother thought Colleen. she was saying, Colleen, on the line. <laughs> and like we're, we're like singing uh, it. And he would have been like, I don't know, three or four. <laughs> and he's like, oh, Colleen, it's your song. And we're like, what do you mean? He's like, Colleen. And we just laughed. I mean, I've told you about my flash dance one, right? The take your pants off. And make it happen. What? It's take your passion and make it oh. happen. <laughs> take your pain. And, I, and it would always embarrass me if I was listening to that song around adults. Because I'm like, why are they taking their pants off? Well, what's interesting is I shouldn't laugh at you because I, ha- I just recently, well, pretty much all the time, I'll be listening to a song, an old song with friends, and like someone will start singing the words. And I'll be like, oh, is that what they're saying? Even yeah. though... Not only have I heard that song thousands of times, but I've sung along 
with what I thought it was saying. That's hilarious. And like, <laughs> and and whenever I hear it, I'm like, oh, of course that's what they're saying. <laughs> why was I just? Why was I saying what I thought it was? You know. Well, I will say, um, you think you're done growing up by you know the 20s, and then you turn 30, you're like, well, I'm definitely going. There's so many books, movies, and songs that I've not fully understood till the last few years. Yeah. Where I find I watched it. And it's maybe a movie that the last time I saw it, I was in my 20s. And I'm watching, I'm like, oh, I totally understand this now. You know, like like things in Star Wars where um, I didn't quite understand the significance of the scene in, like when, they're, when Darth Vader's trying to influence the one guy. And then later I watched it in my 30s and I'm like, oh, I see. I see why there's a little political game going on. When I was a kid, it was like, uh, it was a meaningless scene to me. It was just... Some the bad guy Darth Vader being mean, but I didn't know why or what it mattered or anything. Totally, and it's just like funny. You watch movies as an adult, and then later as an adult, and you're finally or listen to songs, and you're finally something clicks. <laughs> yeah, well, that happens for me a lot with words, like understand, for example. Yeah, I very recently just it just flashed in my head like, oh, th- that's a compound word. That's two words. That's under and stand. Right, meaning that you. You stand under a concept right. and get it. Right, right. And, well, <laughs> and, I, and, and I remember just being like, oh, my God. Oh, wow. And then I sort of turned to – and I've done this enough times where I turn to someone and I'd be like, so have you? did you know that under – they're like, yeah, I've known that since I was three, you know, because <laughs> uh, it's so obvious. But that happens to me in countless situations. Yeah. Well, that's, there's some funny ones for me, like comeuppance. You got to yeah. comeuppance. So first of all, I always thought it was, you know – Something came up finally for them. He got his comeuppance. I don't. I guess I don't know what it means. Well, so comeuppance is like you got your your just desserts. Yeah, right? yeah, I know what it means. Which, by the way, I don't know the literary. What does just desserts? But anyway, so I always thought it was. Oh, I see. His number was up. He got his comeuppance. Okay, right. But first of all, it's not spelled like that at all. It's comeuppance. Comeuppance, right? Wow. So then, when I saw it spelled, I thought. Oh, that must be from the French, comeuppance, or something. Then I thought, okay, I'm going to look up what this means. No, it, it's just a word spelled that way. That means you got what you you got what you got coming to you. Yeah, something came up and got you. That but it you wasn't. Should... It came up. It wasn't come up in. Like it, it wasn't what I thought it was at all. Well, so what is it? It's just what it means. What does it mean? It, you got what you deserved. Right. That's it. I know. But, but it's not. But it's not because it sounds like you got what was coming up. It has nothing to do with coming up at all. Oh. Whereas I always thought it was, oh, you got your comeuppance. Like, yeah, I thought that too. You know, it's same thing with... So it's um, coincidence that it sounds like come up. Like your comeuppance. Because in reality, there is no such expression as... How do you know that that's true? Oh, because I looked it up and I was obsessed for it. But, and they say like it's coincidental, like it comes from some French word that... No, it doesn't come from some French word. It's just there is a word that's spelled... Comeuppance, right? And it sounds and people like people pronounce up. it comeuppance, and it sounds like come up, like come uppins. Uh-huh. And it, I always assumed it's like, but but if you think about it, what expression is there which like, oh, he got what was coming up? Well, I want to take a break and <laughs> because I got a good one for you. All right, all right, we're back from the break. If you haven't become a patron, do so now. Go to patreon.com. That's the best way you can get your comeuppance. <laughs> so so I have one right now. What? Maybe we've talked about this where I don't think we have. Is have your cake and eat it too. What do you think that? 
Have we talked about this? I don't. I think so, but maybe maybe it's been a long time. What do you think that means? Or did did I tell you what it really means? It might have been a tougher bluff at some point, but okay. But I don't remember. So it's like you're asking me for the first time ever. Okay. So have your cake, cake and eat it too. Like so to it, me, it we, means we know what it literally means. Yeah. We, well, we, yeah. We know I know what, what it. What I know what people mean when they say. Yeah. But how you're did, trying to have it both ways? How did right? So how do you get? From that phrase to... Right. So I always pictured it was, you want to see your pretty beautiful cake, but you also want to eat it. But as soon as you eat it, it's going to have to get cut into, and so it destroys how pretty it looks. It's actually true. Is that what it is? Um, or, uh, well, another way of saying it is like, you want a cake to have so you can eat it at any time, Yeah. right? Because it's nice to have Oh, uh, but you also want to eat it. It's, it's nice to have <laughs> yeah. a cake in the cupboard ready to go. Right, right. But if you eat it, you don't get to have it for later. Right. So that there's, it's actually a full phrase. I can't remember how it goes, but it's some. It, the full <laughs> phrase actually makes more literal sense. I see. You can't eat your cake and have it for later too. I see. Right. You know, you but then it got shortened to you can't have your cake right. and eat it, which <laughs> I I was always boggled by that phrase. It's like, well. If you eat your cake, you had it. So how do you how right. do you not have a cake and eat it? You're not thinking four dimensionally, Marty. <laughs> yeah. So um, so so the other one uh, that always I've I've battled with people on, and I know what is correct, but uh, that's the last draw. Yeah. So I always thought it was the last draw. D R A W, right. as in you're drawing straws. <laughs> Yeah. To pick who's going to be. And so you're like... Well, it's funny you saw a straw, which is in there, but... Right? Because I'm thinking, okay, that was the last draw well, of a straw. Well, that'd work if last straw, too. But the last straw, because that's the straw that broke the camel's back. Right. So it's... The, the, the phrase is, that was the last straw, because that's the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah. But what I always thought of it is like... We're drawing straws to see, and that was that was the last draw. But that one doesn't make as much sense because normally you mean like you've crossed the line of no return, a point of no return. Yeah. And and I, that's why I thought, well, yeah, if I'm the last draw, I've crossed the line of no return. Uh, the other one is the the oh, there's a lottery or a luck one. Oh man, I can't remember. But there's a lot of those where you could sort of see it both ways. But there, oh, I know what it was. I've said my piece. Yeah. I've said my piece. So I always thought that it was peace as in war versus peace. I said, I had opinions and I've said my piece. That's what I thought it was too. Right? But no, it said, you've said your piece of the pie. You've said your piece of the puzzle. You've said your piece. Yeah. That's I've how said it's spelled? My piece. Apparently, yeah. That's stupid. Now, I have seen, though, that it, different people spell it differently, but I think it's because people like me misinterpret what it means. Interesting. So I want to talk about House of Cards because uh, someone asked us to talk about it. Yeah. But I – and I thought, should we do a full episode? And I was like, uh, I got all these other backlog. And, right. And honestly, like, I just don't think we have enough to say. Right. That you could – I mean, you. I guess we could just, like, ramble for an hour and a half about it. But honestly, like – Because you don't mean the whole show. Um, yeah, okay. yeah, okay. like all the seasons or whatever. Oh, okay, that is a whole episode then. I mean, but, but, on, and with the Kevin Spacey stuff. I thought stuff, you meant about that, yeah. With the Kevin Spacey stuff coming out lately, it's just like, right. do we really want to do that? So, uh, you know, what can we say quickly about okay. to satisfy the patrons who have asked us to talk about House of Cards? Loved it! Next, yeah. no, just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I liked the first season a lot. I was fully on board. Second season... 
I was trying to like it and and survived. Third season, I was still trying to like it, but was like, <laughs> I feel like we've gone way afield from season one. Right. Season one, to me, felt like a, a possible thing that could happen. Yeah. Among possible human beings. By the time we got to season three, I was like, are these people from another planet? Because they don't seem to operate like normal hu- human beings. And I've, and I'm no, I no longer identify with these people. Yeah. It's first season, I was like, I could see myself in these people, kind of. Yeah. Like, Kevin Spacey would break the fourth wall. He'd be like, now is the time when I yeah. have to, like, really dig into these people. The other cool thing about season one was... Uh, Frank Underwood was just a just a senator, or you know, he, he was the speaker, or the not the whip. He was the House Whip. Yeah, he was. He was just. He didn't have power, right? And he and when he met the president, he had to kiss the president's ass. Yes. And when he met like uh, the vice president and other people, like he he. But by the time we get to season three, he's like basically Hitler. He owns the world. It would have been a. This is we've talked about this before. So many shows would benefit from the British style of we're going to do two seasons. Yeah, <laughs> you know, imagine if the whole narrative arc had been the rise of this man that we increasingly learn more and more about. Not that he pushes people onto trains, but rather that he is really fundamentally not a great person. In fact, he's really sort of a, a psycho, but not a killer psycho. Well, yeah, and you know? and the behind the scenes recreation. Or at least, you know, their version of what real politics is yes. like. That was And then imagine that it had been, say, two seasons, and it culminated. The end was he gets elected president. And, and we don't see what happens after that. That's it, yeah. That would have been awesome. Yeah. And without the murders. But people, see, what happened, and this is just me being a dick and speculating, but what happens is it, people, the, the viewing audience, they start watching it, and they start kind of like, it's like, um, I don't know, like psych- psychopathy porn or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you're just like, oh my God, he's so naughty and he's so sexy and he doesn't take shit. And man, when he really goes off the deep end, you don't want to mess with him. And like the fans end up wanting him to like abuse people and yeah. to like always win and to climb the ladder. And, and for me, I'm just like, huh, you know, this is just. I just thought that. I I actually do like some of that, but I look. I actually really enjoyed seasons one and two, but after you and I spoke the first time, and then as, after I I thought about it a little bit more, I agree with you. And in fact, the things I liked the most about Frank Underwood were the things that were way more subtle. Right. So it wasn't that he was pushing someone onto a train. It was that. By the way, spoiler alert. Yeah, <laughs> but it was that he was kind of ruining someone's life yeah. behind the scenes. For example, season one, he there's this other politician who is kind of a threat, the, yeah. the younger guy, with the bald guy. Right. But he's got a little bit of an alcohol problem. <laughs> and he, he figures out a way to right. sort of push him in a direction, which yeah. ends up, you know, but it's subtle. It's And, right. and, it's, and it's not a direct crime, right. you know? Um the the prostitute who kind of got involved exactly and, you know, like it's it was it was it was machinations yes it wasn't just like full on horrible human being action yes you know? um, plus that, by the time you get to the president level it's just like uh, yeah. you know like and because because you need the season to have some kind of 
pushback. You know, you need yeah. some story arc. And so the story arcs they had for season three, did they even have a five season? Or was that Wasn't the one? this last one five? Anyway, I just felt like the, the stakes were so astronomically high yeah. that I was like, eh. Well, but it was also anticlimactic because the way I thought about it, when I, when I was thinking, what are they going to do in season three? Yeah. I actually thought, oh, they're gonna, he's going to get demoted or he'll lose office. or They need a reset, right? Yeah. And then the flip side didn't. is I thought if they weren't going to do a reset, they're get, he's going to have to start a nuclear war. Yeah, right. But yeah, and I watched, I, you know, I powered through those, those uh, I think at least three and a half, you know, three and then half of four. And I was like, I was like, I think what they're trying to do is they've fallen in love with Frank Underwood's like mythology or something. Right. And they also are trying they their fans want him to win and they can't ha- so you know you know on the writers meetings they were like what if we had him become impeached and then he has to fight his way back from right. the bottom. That would give us right. much more opportunity for like strife right. and like struggle and like little right. victories, like in season one. Yeah, you know that crossed their minds. And they were like, "No, we can't do that the to Frank fan, because the fans, fans will not allow it." Right, exactly. And I hate to say it in this day and age, I would be so scared if I had a property that fans like. <laughs> yeah. Well, a certain kind of fan, like the yeah. Rick and Morty fan. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, so if I was to give, like, again, spoiler alert in terms of, uh, I'm not going to spoil too much, but in terms of psychology is, yeah, he's a psychopathic, horrible human being. Yeah. He kills people without any remorse uh, to, for really no reason other than to uh, make him, give himself more power. Right. Um, you know, there's a, it's not like when he becomes in power, he's somehow making the world a better place. You know, there's no, there's no justification for his behavior. Uh, other politicians around him are just as power hungry, but they don't resort to the kinds of things he does. Uh, he, you know, he lies to get what he wants. He uses people for his own gain. He doesn't have any empathy. Um, he, you know, his marriage is highly problematic. Uh, and, tr- and even the way they write about the marriage is kind of weird. Like it, it just feels very disjointed, and do you know what I'm saying? Oh, totally. Like totally. in the first season, it's like he would come home as this, you know, just another politician, right? And he'd be working out on the on the uh, rowing machine, yeah. And Claire Underwood would come downstairs, and she'd be like, "How you doing?" And then they'd have a cigarette at the window. And they'd support each other, yeah. you know, and they're like, and they, and they were clearly not normal, quote unquote, people because like they were so obsessed about their power struggle and yeah. their thing. But at the same time, and they weren't also I, clearly they were East Coast wealthy, but not ridiculous, you know. They, they were like, right. yeah, they, they they had to depend on money, people, yeah, to for donations and all that stuff, right? Um, but but by the time we get to season three and four, it's just like. Yeah. Who are these people well, and what <laughs> motivates them? And, right. What would you rate the first season? Uh, I would rate it high, man. I was on board. I loved it. I, I would have given it an 8 or a 9 yeah. out of 10. Same. And then what would you rate the overall series at this point? Well, it's hard to say. I, I, uh, low, like a yeah. 3 or something. <laughs> I mean, season 1, absolutely... 
After that, I can't really recommend anything. I'd probably that. keep it at a five, maybe. But there's some, there are some moments in some of the subsequent seasons that I actually really did love. But it is pretty inconsistent. Now, the big question is, I, I feel bad for Robin, right? Yeah. But I, I'm sort of like, just stop it then. Yeah. Like, what do you it, mean? What? what you know, because you know they canceled the next season. Except yeah. they said no, we're going to keep going with Robin, right? Uh, Basically, we they, we they wrote Kevin Spacey out. So is he going to die or something? Who knows? Yeah. But he's out. Interesting. So I feel like, well, I do feel bad for Robin Wright, but at the same time, I'm sort of not interested anymore. Well, and, for Netflix, you're like, we've got a major fucking property here. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's probably not that expensive to make those episodes, you know? And it's probably like, well, let's see. You know, let's see what we yeah. can do with Robin Wright. And maybe, actually, it, given what we're saying... This could be an opportunity to make this a, a much better uh, series moving forward. You Maybe, know? but she's the president. And I got to be honest. Oh, she's the president? Yeah. Now? Oh, spoiler alert. No. She, oh, you haven't seen all of it? No, but fine. I, that's that's fine. <laughs> well, okay. What I... What I, I didn't, that must have been in the last season. What I mean is, you know that Frank is president, right? Yeah. If he's out of the picture and she's the next in line, like... Oh, was she vice president? Yeah. Oh, I didn't. I don't think I knew okay, that. So I did spoil it. Shit. Okay, sorry. But okay, I'm gonna say I don't like Claire Underwood anymore. Right. As a character. Yeah. She she's just as horrible as Frank Underwood. But I don't even. You know, I like bad people in movies. I just mean I don't find her interesting but, anymore. Yeah, I don't find her. I don't. I didn't find the characters yeah. interesting. I didn't know what motivated them. Right. They 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 didn't make any sense to me. Right. Uh, like when they had sex with their. Um, Bodyguard, bodyguard, I was, I was right. like, "What is happening?" Like, okay, okay uh, it's fine, but like, huh? Like, yeah, like it almost seemed. Again, it just seemed like the writers were like, "What kind of twisted, demented right. shit can we make these clean cut politicians do?" You know, I'm right. just like, "Come on!" You know. <laughs> um, okay, next topic. Someone at wants us to talk about David Cassidy. What? Because David Cassidy died. Oh, right. right. Uh, he was in the Partridge Family TV show. It was also a music group. They sold millions of records. I think I love you. Bah, 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 1970, yeah. big song. I loved the Partridge Family when I was a kid. Oh, really? You watched it? But it wasn't as... Like, I loved the Brady Bunch more. Interesting. The Partridge Family for me was a second choice. Yeah. I don't really remember watching the show. I, I know it was on reruns, but... There must have been something else to watch because I don't remember or wasn't on very often. I definitely watched the Brady Bunch. Um, yeah, I mean, David Cassidy seemingly lived a good life, but he seemed to have an alcohol problem, and then he started experiencing dementia, and he died of liver failure at the age of 67. Oh, man. And according to his daughter, Kate, his last words were, so much wasted time. Oh. His last words, so much wasted time. Oh, no. Um I remember him in the 70s as being this super sweet all-American kid with this beautiful face and be- <laughs> beautiful feathered brown hair. Right. <laughs> uh, there was a huge feather hair thing going on in the in the mid-late 70s. <laughs> and, and boy, did I want my hair to feather just right. My sister had wonderful feathers. He was hair. one of the heartthrobs back then. Exactly. Um, and But I was more into his... Into his um, uh, younger brother Sean Cassidy. Uh, oh, <laughs> yeah. Sean Cassidy had a he he was a blonde, also heartthrob kid. Okay, and he had an album in 1976 that 
me and my neighborhood friends had. And it was during the resurgence of the 50s culture. Oh. So Happy Days came out, Laverne yeah. and Shirley. And, and Sean Cassidy recorded uh, an album. So he's, he would have been like Justin Bieber at the time. Yeah. And his whole album were 50s covers. Wow. So, and his big song was The Do Run Run. Ah, oh, The Do Run Run Run, run The, the do, do Run Run. run. And like that song i had never heard before you know all these i didn't know it was 50s remakes i just thought it was awesome music and when you think about it some 50s music it's kind of like children's music right so at the age of five i'm like this is awesome and so what one o'clock two o'clock three o'clock rock yeah (laughs) so uh take good care of my baby you know it's very (laughs) melodic easy to understand it's not like weird Bob Dylan or U2 yeah, lyrics yeah. or something. And so I, me and my friends would, we were so, I don't know if it was just me obsessed or we were all obsessed, but like we got together and like put on a show for the neighborhood. We, my neighborhood had, so on, on my left were my two best friends, Charlie and Tommy. They were brothers. Okay. And one was older, a year older, one was a year younger. And then to my right was my other best friend, Steve, who was a year older. So the four of us lived, you know, the nice. four of us lived in three houses. Across the street were two girls, Erica uh, and what was her sister's name? Nelson. And then, and, then, and then a couple houses down was like another group of girls. And like all of us were exact, like within a couple years of each other. Wow, that's so crazy. And so... What a story, Mark. Now, wait, was this at the house... That I visited at your yeah. parents' house, that yeah, I mean, same house. Yeah, my parent. I've. Uh, that's the house I moved into when I was two. So that's it's crazy. Just, yeah. And so, um, so all of us kids got together and we we would lip sync to this Sean Cassidy album. <laughs> and me and Steve, be, you know, we were like trying to decide who's going to be Sean Cassidy, <laughs> who's going to be the backup singer. I see, and who's going to be the singer. <laughs> we must have been watching a lot of like. Um, God, what was uh, that one? That one variety show with the Mormon kids. Uh, um, I don't know. God, you recognize the names. But anyway, there's a lot of variety shows in the seventies, and we must have seen a lot of people performing. Anyway, me and my friend were like, "Who's going to be Sean? Who's going?" And they're like, "I want to be Sean, and I want to be Sean." And they were like, "Let's both be Sean." Oh, so we invented <laughs> this backstory, which is kind of dumb because who cares? But we invented this backstory where we could sing so perfectly together that we sounded like one person oh <laughs> uh let's go on to another that's hilarious another issue someone wants us to talk about daddy issues i didn't want to do a full episode on daddy issues so okay. let me just read this listener's email i was curious about your thoughts about daddy issues do you believe it is a real thing or a social construct i'm a 29 year old man dating a guy that is 14 years older than me okay i would love to hear your thoughts on this Berto, what do you think does this, uh, does this guy have daddy yeah, issues? Yeah, right off the bat, I think this guy's got daddy <laughs> Well, okay. I, I mean, if we are saying, does your father, just like your mother, have a strong effect on your psychology and your life? Yeah, in many cases, that's true. I, I certainly has for me. Right. And can that manifest as a need for love from what you might perceive as a parental figure? Definitely. Yeah. Uh, now... Do I think that maybe we overuse the term and just like, you know, kind of pop-sci 
way of saying, oh, she's got daddy issues. Yeah. Like the, the trope of like, you see the strippers like, well, she's got daddy issues. Right. I do think it's overused. Totally. Now, first off, there's nothing wrong with an age difference, 29 to 43. Uh, we did a whole episode. We looked into the research. 14-year-old daddy? What? No, that would no. would be a 14-year-old daddy, right? No, 29 and 43. Yeah. So, like, to have... If that, oh. You know, if that had well, been... Well, older, but I'm just saying, yeah, like, yeah. there's 14 years difference between the right. two of you. And what it sounds like is some people might be saying you have daddy issues. And that's just a stigmatization around our really weird taboo about age differences. Now, of course, if a 29-year-old dates a 14-year-old, there's a... There's a legitimate reason why we have a taboo around that. But once you get past a certain age, as we discussed in that long episode about age differences and looked over the research, it's like I, I right. came to the con- pretty hard conclusion that I was just like, it's all dumb. There's yeah. so many reasons why a relationship can work or not work. And yeah. looking at age is, is uh, you know, one, one factor, factor, but, yeah. you know, one of thousands, really. And regarding daddy issues, yeah, we heal many wounds through our spouses and through right. our romantic relationships, and we've all been harmed by our parents. So by definition, uh, whoever you are dating regarding gender or whatever, we're all working out mommy and daddy issues. So why say it in a negative context? Right. Like, it's, it's totally normal, you know, and as you said, it's like, are we affected by our right. parents? Yeah, I mean, yeah, we all... Yeah, that, that's our first relationships. Of course, that's going to be a major part of the development of our personality and will influence our spousal relationships, right. of course. If anything, you would imagine a culture where we high-five each other. You're like, you know, you're dating someone. Maybe they're older or not, but you're like, daddy issues, you're working them out, yay! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so to say that you have daddy issues would be to say that you're a human being who had a dad, yes. you know, and you're dating a male, you know. Right. Um, also, as we're saying, you know, people use this phrase to discount people, you know. It's just like, um, oh, you know, you're 29, he's 43, you have daddy issues, um, therefore you don't really love that guy. You know, right. you're, you're just... You're just working out some issue or something. And it's like, well, maybe, but well, how, do, do you, how do you know? I do wonder if this listener is bringing it up because maybe something did happen with their dad that was, you know, difficult or traumatic or something. And they feel like maybe there is some significance beyond what we're talking about. Right. But to stigmatize it as daddy issues is unfair. Yeah. Uh, uh, our, like I said, all of us have been harmed by our parents, right. regardless of gender. And all of us that, and have also benefited from our caregivers, and all of that comes out in our romantic relationships. Oh, yeah. I had mommy and daddy and grandpa and granny and babies, and babies, babies issues, ba- babysitter. and aunts issues, babysitter issues, uncles issues, every t- kinds of issues, all sorts of issues. Here's another quick email from patron Sue. She writes, Pride seems to prevent us from seeking or accepting help from others, even when things get really bad. In extreme cases, such as becoming homeless, pride stops some people from seeking or accepting help from friends or relatives. Is it a particular personality type who might suffer from pride? Or perhaps it isn't pride, but instead feelings of worthlessness. Berto, what do you think? I do think it it varies by person, by personality. Uh, I know, for example... Um, in my life, I have seen uh, my dad affected in his in his past deeply by what some might call pride. 
so whether or not it's technically that's what it was, it seemed like pride because it was, you know, not willing to accept help from someone because of his pride or not willing to do certain things because of his pride that led to a downward spiral. And I've also seen people in my contemporary life that are people that I know that I have also witnessed let themselves get stuck because of what I think is sort of pride. Right. Uh, I, as a result, <laughs> have always been willing to kill pride with a steak knife if it means that I will, you know, succeed or not fail. So I, I will, pride will be the first thing I let go if it means I can survive. It's a very, very successful strategy. Um, yeah, most of us are raised to be self-sufficient. It's normal. Uh, when you are a child, you need everything. And a marker of maturity and growing up and being accepted is to be able to do things on your own. And so we've all been shamed as a child for asking for help. Like, uh, you know, I put my shoes on. It's like, you can put your shoes on. Your, you know how to do it. Or carry me. You know, every yeah. kid wants to be carried right. all the time. <laughs> There's that transition from like, I'm no longer fucking carrying you everywhere. You got to learn how to ambulate, you know. And so, so there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of shame of like, you need to be self-sufficient and, you know, all that shame we internalize, um, and will make us, uh, be hesitant to ask for help as an adult. Plus there's a ton of so- uh, shame in our society in particular, in American society. Uh, we are the, the most shaming of asking for help. You know, John Wayne never asked for help, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Also, there's a classism issue around like, well... If you're asking for help, it's kind of assumed like, well, you must not be rich enough to just buy someone to do it for you. Right. Like if you are moving and you ask all your friends to help you move, it's like that's a low-class thing. You know, higher-class thing, people will hire movers, for example. Right. Um, You know, it's really – it's it's super ridiculous. Like like if someone came to your house and said like – um, can I borrow your vacuum cleaner? Right. You'd be like low class. Low class. Like, you, <laughs> you know, you don't have your own vacuum cleaner. Yeah. Who doesn't have their? But think about it. Like, uh, and I've, I've, I remember thinking about this when I was like twenty years old. I was thinking, do you know how much money we could save, uh, and how much resources we could save and point toward other directions if neighbors just borrowed things? Yeah, you're right. Not everyone would have to own a copy of everything. Right. Right, like it's being things are underutilized right, heavily. Right. How often do you use your vacuum cleaner? Twice a week at the most. Yeah. For a, a total span of weekly time of like twenty minutes or something. Right. Well, it, you could at least share a vacuum cleaner with your neighbor. Right. <laughs> you know the chance that you're both going to need it at the same time and it's right. like ruin your life is pretty slim. Why not just like knock, 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 can I use the vacuum cleaner? Or we'll keep it in this locker in between yeah. our houses or something. Or your wife or husband. What do you mean? You can share that. Oh, I get it. <laughs> uh, or other things, you know, like like even cars. Like you like you have your main car, but a secondary car you share. Toothbrush, toilet paper. <laughs> yeah. Um, or, well, along those lines, like how many people live in houses now who – multiple like people have everyone has their own bathroom right yeah like you all have your own toilet you all have your own like come on like so there's don't cross the streams (laughs) it's just really ridiculous like why why don't we ask and i think it has to do with classism has to do with shame around asking for help has to do with like not wanting to have contact with strangers or something so i have a um 
a reason why I, I historically don't ask for help, which is a little different, but it's certainly not great. And it's, um, I think I feel like I don't deserve help. Right. So it's not shame of like, oh, what will they say? It's more like, dude, you haven't earned help. You need to pull, you know, you need to like earn help. Right. So that's, <laughs> that's another reason for what we might call pride, which is when we grow up and have particular hard time with things, for some of us, we're taught that we don't deserve help or right. when you ask for help, it's not coming. Right. And so you learn early in life that it's actually painful to ask for help because it, cause it may it's, not work. Because it frequently yeah. means that you have to come to the full realization that no one's there. Because when you asked, when we were talking about pride a second ago, I was realizing, yeah, like the thing I, I'm freely able to, uh, the, the example I was thinking is if I need to get a job, I am, I am not going to sit here and be like, oh, I can't work there because what I do is I forget what I do today. But the point is, let's say I, I serve ice cream, right? I uh, I will certainly not be like I can only serve ice cream. I will. It, this other job is beneath me because I've seen firsthand the effects of what that does to someone. Right. But as you were saying, asking for help and things like that, I realized, oh shit, I don't ask for help. And then I was like, but it's not because I'm embarrassed. Why is it that I don't ask for help? And you're right. It's a, I think anyways, it's a, a bit of a fear or maybe um, feeling guilty. Like, no, 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 no. I don't deserve it or it won't work or something. Totally. Yeah. I know enough about your personality uh, to know that that is probably the reason. Um, you're a fairly open person. You're fairly quick to communicate and be honest, but uh, I don't ever hear you asking for help from anybody um you might impose on people around you in the process but you're definitely <laughs> not gonna ask like your wider community you know what i mean yeah um yeah it, it's tempting to look at pride and be like oh you're just being prideful you know yeah but as with everything there's a logical reason for it you know take a typical pride like okay take a guy who won't ask for directions okay right. you know because of pride you know, we'll be like, oh, men and their stupid pride. Right. It's like, well, back up. Like, why, what would be the gooey, uh, vulnerable center to that hard, you know, candy shell <laughs> on the outside? Now my mouth is watering. <laughs> it, it, it's that for a man in our society to ask another man often, or even a woman for that matter, for directions means something. And it means that you're incompetent. It means you yeah. don't know where you're going. Now, with ways and Google Maps, this will, <laughs> this will never be a problem. Um, but actually, it's interesting when it comes to ways and Google Maps, I would venture to say that men are much better at using those apps yes, than, women, that. than women are. Yeah, yeah. No, I've actually I've been in cars where the argument is actually the opposite of the one you see in the movies. Because in the movies, it's the guy driving and the woman's like, just stop and ask already, right? Yeah. But I've seen like uh, the woman driving and it's like, what? just look it up. It's like, no, it's fine. Like, just look it up in Google. <laughs> yeah. You know, the reason why is because in our society and among certain pockets uh, of mainstream society, for a man to ask for help is admitting that you are not a man, that you can't provide, you can't protect. Yeah. And 
you're just you're worthless. Well, it's because in the savanna we preferred rounded objects. <laughs> yeah, and so uh, because of those messages that we that we teach uh, g- around gender, it, it's threatening. So and scary and. And behind that, if you lose your manhood, you lose your worth, which means you will lose your spouse and your children yeah. and your job. And, and that's a scary prospect. That's not like the literal thing that runs through your mind, but it manifests in this behavior like, right. uh, I can make it on my own. I, I'll figure it out. You know, they're basically hoping like, I hope I figure this out. You know, uh, I, I, you know I'll figure it out eventually. Um, it, and what we look at that, we say, oh, pride. But it's not... You know, it's not like... It's, I'm the best direction finder in the world. It's right. not that. <laughs> now, there certainly is that, too, and narcissism around men, but anyway. All right, Berto, I think we powered through some uh, quick questions there. Yeah. We, we scratched off we, some things off the list. Uh, well, any any final things, Berto? I think I am going to take some time to be proud of asking for help. Because you, I mean, I, I mean, we deserve it.